Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate ourselves on product, industry, and best practices as it relates to building and growing a customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. I'm excited to have Pasha Saudri as our guest today. Pasha has a two-decade product innovation career across some of the most influential internet companies and products. Yahoo started a company called Polyvore, did a stint at Google, and then uh, most recently, um, WhatsApp, and then a stint at Facebook. So he's joining us to discuss his journey, the technical decisions required to scale, and what makes magic in small teams and more. Welcome, Pasha. Thanks for having me. So while we kick this thing off, you've been part of ushering in some uh, amazing innovations. Pipes demonstrated how visualizing web service integrations could usher in kind of web 2.0 or 3.0 kind of development environments. That's my own little take there. And then Polyvore, uh, a project to create kind of interactive art, brought us digital collaging. I always refer to it as the Pinterest before Pinterest. And then your most recent act, kind of being at the epicenter of the world's most used messaging service, WhatsApp. So I guess where to start is kind of how did you start? You know, what's the method to your career path? Like, what's the path you chose? And kind of walk us through that. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, I guess the first thing to say is that. I'm not actually a computer science major. I studied mechanical engineering at UC San Diego, but I've always been tinkering with computers from an early age, and maybe in some ways I should have studied CS. When I finished my degree, I decided to move up to the Bay Area because this is where it's at when it comes to software, at least back in the late 90s when I finished. And I started working, um, I joined Yahoo because Yahoo at that time was the coolest the internet. Big, they were the big fish. Yes. So at this early stage, I would say there wasn't so much a method to my madness. I was just trying to get my foot in the door of starting my software engineering career. I actually had a really great experience at Yahoo because after a few years, I met a lot of really great, talented people who supported me and guided me and gave me room to grow as a software engineer and really took some chances on me. I was able to conceive and launch products internally at Yahoo. I felt that was a very critical part of my growth as an engineer. And I would say based on those experiences of actually going through the process of coming up with an idea, building it, and then seeing what happened once you launched it, that really helped me formulate some ideas around where I should go next. I worked at Yahoo for around six years, which is quite a long time by sort of internet software standards. Yeah, definitely. Um, I decided to go to Google because by that point, Google was now the place to be. And the trigger for that was uh, the launch of Google Maps. Just before Google Maps launched, actually kind of a side note, and interesting side note, historically, I'd worked on Yahoo Maps and we had introduced this functionality of plotting points of interest on a map. So if you were searching for like hotels in Las Vegas, we would plot all of them for you. This was a new thing at that time. And then a few months later, Google Maps was launched, which of course blew everybody's minds away because it was a for me, I just remember the moment when I loaded it, I got a message from one of my friends who worked at Google and said, check this out. And when I opened the browser, it was unlike anything that I had seen. It was a full-blown app running in the browser. You could scroll around without reloading the page. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, I need to move over to Google. That's where it's happening. So I worked with the Maps team, actually, and I learned about an interesting backstory. 
which was the team that actually built Google Maps uh, was a private company and they were planning to launch their Maps product as an independent company. But when the product I had worked on at Yahoo Maps came out, they decided that they couldn't do that anymore. So then they decided to look for an acquirer and Google bought them, which led to Google Maps. So I, and I later met Lars and Jens who were running the Maps team. That's cool. So you went to Google. And how did you end up at Google? Did you like reach out to them? Obviously, you probably would have been an, a person of interest given you had worked on the Yahoo Maps product. Yes, there were. So Google Maps had just launched. It was a tiny team. It was like maybe uh, ten people. Uh, maybe uh, we were actually split, so maybe twenty people. But considering its scale, it was pretty small. I met Lars and Jens, and uh, they knew about me because of the Yahoo Maps. Um, so I was obviously a good fit. Unfortunately, I didn't actually stay at Google for a very long time. I was there for about a year. And uh, for a variety of reasons, I actually went back to Yahoo. I'm one of the very few people in the world who made the journey in that direction. But I was given a lot of latitude. Uh, I'm very grateful for that at Yahoo. Uh, Bradley Horowitz had created a group that was around innovation. And they placed me, uh, part of coming back to Yahoo was like, here, you know, we have space for you to do interesting stuff. And that led to the creation of Pipes. So Pipes is, came about because of several things really coming together. One of them was my experience at Google and Google Maps specifically. That really opened my eyes in terms of what was possible to do in a web browser. And we, I brought some of those learnings back into the creation of the Pipes user interface, which was really sort of cutting edge at the time that it launched. The other thing that was happening at that time was this notion of Web 2.0 with a lot of services that have open APIs and the concept of mashups where you take data from and functionality from various services and tie them together to create new products. And Pipes was really a manifestation of that idea, formalized. It was built with a very small team, which I'm super proud of. Jonathan Trevor, myself, Ed Ho, Daniel Raffle, um, with Bradley's support. Um, and then later on, there were obviously more people, but the core initial team was four people. So that was also great. <laughs> That's awesome. And then from there, how did, like, when did Polyvore come into fruition? So Polyvore was, um, as an idea, was sort of hatched towards the end of my tenure at Yahoo. At this point, I had been working in the industry for, let's say, maybe eight years or nine years. And I had a history of being able to come up with an idea and launch it. I'd always done that in the context of a larger organization. But one day I realized, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley and this is where startups, the, everything that you need in order to create a startup is here. So it's sort of like going to, my analogy was like, if I go to Paris and I don't visit the Louvre or check out the Eiffel Tower, it's sort of, Similar, if I'm in Silicon Valley and maybe I can create things, I should really take a shot at it. And um, the idea, it has actually some commonalities with Pipes because the user interface was a drag and drop tool. I can't really explain why that particular idea, but I did have some notions around, I wanted it to be related to real world products because I felt that that was easier to build a monetization scheme around. I wanted it to be visual. I think that was one of the insights that has borne out to be really true, um, yep. as followed by Pinterest, Instagram, and everything. Our brains are just set up to process visual information so much faster than any other kind of medium. 
So those things came together as the sort of the genesis of Polyvore. Okay. And did you start that in 07 while you were still kind of on the pipes thing or the end of that? When was the the like idea and you started working on it? Because I know you left Yahoo in 08, I think, right? Yes. So I guess the statue of limitations has passed on this. <laughs> so, um, so there was a kind of a crazy period of time when, um, you know, during the day I was working on pipes and that was a really full-time job because pipes had sort of blown up in terms of the attention that it was getting and we had all sorts of scalability issues and like lots of demand for new features. But I'd also sort of started working on the Polyvore UI on my spare time at home. And there was a period of time that I had basically a full-time job at work. I would come home, eat dinner, and then like start working on Polyvore, hacking away on it till 1 a.m. and then go back to work and repeat this for a few months. And two of my co-founders, Jining and Guangwei at Polyvore, later co-founders, they were crazy enough to just see the prototype and essentially quit their jobs and start working on it full time. And as a team, we worked towards a public launch of Polyvore. And then as soon as that happened, I also moved over full time on it. <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's interesting. I, and so was there any focus around art and collaging at that time? Or was it like more of an open-ended kind of visual product and see where it goes? So we were very aware that you're starting a company that eventually needs to figure out a business model. Our, as I mentioned, I did like this concept of visual and around products. And if you think about it, actually, say Pipes and Polyvore do have some commonalities because Pipes was about like pulling disparate data sources into one canvas. Polyvore was about pulling different visual products into one canvas. So, but our first idea was like, well, maybe this could be a useful tool for e-commerce services to offer a richer product interaction experience to their customers. And as is often the case with a lot of startups, your plan A usually doesn't turn out to be the plan that you actually end up executing because we found out that working with e-commerce companies was very slow at that time. It would take us like six months for an integration. So we, and in the meanwhile, the Polyvore website actually had started to take off and we noticed that the quality of the art or what we call them sets that people were creating was really growing rapidly. So we decided, we basically were pulled into focus on Polyvore's growth as an independent website. And that was basically plan B that became Polyvore as most people know it. <laughs> Interesting, that's cool. What's interesting about Polyvore too is I think early on, as the consumer application took off and worked on it, like the business model actually coalesced pretty quickly and stayed true for most of the time, except for the probably the the aspirational component was one of the early challenges, right? Like a lot of people are putting on really cool high-end stuff, but they obviously weren't buying it. It was more it was this aspiration of like, I would yes. love this outfit and yes, this um, four thousand dollar dress. <laughs> yeah, it's four thousand dollar dress. But ultimately I think that like this mechanism to create content around these brands and then allowing brands to support them through mm-hmm. whether it's promotion, uh, became kind of the core business model. Yes. We had to actually solve a lot of interesting technical problems to you know, our user community, which we really loved and are super talented, were creating these aspirational lookbooks. So in order to connect that to the reality of people actually shopping for products, uh, one of the things we had to create was our product similarity engine that 
says, you know, this $4,000 dress, you know, here's a $200, very similar product version of it. And, you know, at different price points. And that kind of bridged what our creator community was putting together and what people who wanted to shop for these products most likely wanted. And that really created the business opportunity for us. Yeah, that's a cool product. Okay, so did that for a bunch of years. And then got to a point where you end up leaving and you go to WhatsApp. Like, how did that transition happen? How'd you end up there? Yeah. So, uh, I spent probably, if you count completely from end to end, around eight years on Polyvore, which also is a fairly good stretch. And um, at the time that I decided to leave, we had a great management team in place. Jess had taken over running the company, and I felt that it was really in good hands. And I had also spent enough on this project. So it was time to move on for something else. The honest answer is, you know, at the beginning I felt, well, maybe I should go and start a new company. Uh, but that's actually coming off of having done a startup. It's quite hard. I, when I actually attempted to do it, I was like, I'm not quite ready for this. So then the next option for me was like, well, I don't want to just sit around. I'm going to, I'd like to do something productive with my time. So I started to look around and one of the opportunities that came up was WhatsApp. And I, I guess I should mention this, which is the importance of sort of your network in your career. I had actually worked with Brian back at Yahoo. And you know, I never thought of it as a networking. We just happened to work together. But it's super important in my opinion that no matter what you are doing or where you are to try to always do a great job because you're making an impression on other people who are your peers. And in the future, you may be looking for people to come and help you in what you are doing, or they may be looking for people who to come and help them in whatever they're doing and having some kind of a common track record with people where they trust you and have seen what you're capable of tends to like pop up in very unexpected ways in your future, like decades into the future. Yep. So I definitely recommend people to always try to do a great job and I think joining WhatsApp sort of came about because of that. You know, I knew Jan and Brian. I knew Brian much better than Jan, actually. And I sort of vaguely knew what they were up to. And when Brian found out that I had left, Polyvore was like, well, you should come and check us out. And when I met WhatsApp, the team, it was a very small team. It was like sub 30 people. And at that point, they were, um, they had 400 million active users. And that's insane. <laughs> that is insane. And I was yeah. like, okay, I've always been a huge fan of very small teams. I was like, I've never this sort of opportunity to be part of a team with this kind of a engineering to user ratio doesn't come along. Yeah. Um, so it was a very unusual move for me to, I basically went back to being an individual contributor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was a very discontinuous step in terms of like having run a company and I don't know the next step for a lot of people. It was probably pretty flat work though, I would assume. Yes, it was completely. Yeah. There, there were basically no other roles. There was Jan and Brian and everybody just reported to them. Yeah. So that's how I joined WhatsApp. Yeah, okay. And when you got there, um, I, I guess actually so the, the pivot here would be, let's talk a little bit about what are the sort of decisions you've had to go through, whether it's a Polyvore as you were scaling or a WhatsApp. Like what are those technical decisions where you either have to like, rewrite something or rethink how you're building because of growth, right? That's the sort of scale question. Like you always hit these inflection points. Yeah. What are some examples of that in sort of whether yeah. it's WhatsApp, Polyvore, anywhere else? Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's take Polyvor for example. Uh, we actually ended up rewriting core parts of Polyvor several times over. So the first one that we had very quickly hit, as soon as we had some number of users, it had scalability issues. We had to rewrite it. And that took us to like an order of magnitude more users. And then we had to rewrite it again. And mind you, this was before AWS and like cloud infrastructure. We had to actually do a lot of stuff ourselves, which was painful. But at the same time, you know, it is what you have to do. So I would say that having this kind of problem actually, even though it's painful, it is a nice problem to have, which means that people are using your service, which is much better than not having scalability problems because nobody's using your service. Totally. So I think it's totally fine. You know, product and engineering teams should be prepared to have to rewrite significant parts of their infrastructure as they hit different scalability limits. And I would almost say my own philosophy is not to try to over-engineering things at the very outset. You know, some people set out to have infinite scalability from day zero before they even know if they have any users or not. And I think for early stage companies, it's actually more important to focus on getting to product market fit and then having some scalability issues before they tackle it rather than the other way around. At WhatsApp, it was at a completely different scale, like orders of magnitude bigger even than Polyvor. And of course, WhatsApp also had to rewrite its infrastructure several times. I would describe it, you know, they had a, we had a better technical footing because we had a very good starting point. It was based on Erlang, which is designed for this type of workload. But I would say that one of the things that really helped dealing with scale at WhatsApp was keeping the product and the infrastructure very simple. We really, that was one of our sort of guiding principles, just to do things as a simple way as possible. Yep. And we talked a little bit uh, before we recorded this around kind of culture of scaling and things. And you talked a lot about experimentation and tools. Uh, you can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the things that I'm really proud of at Polyvore was you know, if you're building a product that is consumer-facing or even business-facing products, but mostly consumer-facing products, uh, you end up having to do a lot of experimentation because you will eventually hit these plateaus. And in order to break out of that plateau and get on a growth again, you have to try lots of different things. But as humans, we actually need sort of constant positive reinforcement of our actions or positive feedback for our actions. Uh, so it becomes demotivating if you constantly try to do things, but you're not getting any positive feedback. And if you're doing a lot of experiments, chances are that some of those experiments are not going to work. Like how many of these can your team handle before they become demotivated? So at Polyvore, we realized it was important for us for our team to be constantly excited and embrace this like experiments that didn't have a certain payoff. So we framed them as you know, even failure is a success because we actually learned something in the process. So we really instilled this idea that experimentation, even if it doesn't move the needle for us, just because we learned something from it can be viewed as a successful and a positive thing. And that really, I love seeing how that worked at Polyvore because the entire team was energized and we were very enthusiastic around coming up around ideas around experimentation and doing the work that was necessary for it. The other thing is around tooling and the processes, which is, again, human psychology. If I have to do something, but I know that it's going to be a, it's going to take a lot of like an hour or my flow of work is broken uh, because of a 
lengthy deployment process or a lengthy testing process or whatever that introduces delays into my workflow. It really, I think, kills my motivation to work on those sort of things. So investing engineering and product time to make sure that people have a very smooth cycle times in terms of, hey, I'm working on this to fix it. Now I need to test it and push it to production, for example. Like that's a cycle. You want that to happen quickly, like not in the order of hours, but like minutes or seconds, ideally. And that you'll see that people are much more willing to engage with problems when that tight loop has been created. So that's an example of investment in building uh, tools and processes that benefits the entire org. So one thing I want to get to is really this notion of like, so there's always great ideas and you've worked on many of them. We talked about it. How do you say no to prioritize the things and get to those experiments and keep that tight loop? Because if you're saying yes to everything, it's hard. Yeah. So I think WhatsApp was really one of the amazing places where I really saw this in a real way. I'd always heard about, you know, the importance of saying no, but WhatsApp was really the place where I felt this was in full effect. And this is thanks to Jan and Ryan. The first time that I met Jan for my interview, <laughs> actually, I sort of, I wanted to come prepared and I prepared some ideas to sort of like, hey, maybe we should do this and that. And his answer was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But later I came to realize how important that was to the success of WhatsApp. WhatsApp actually had every opportunity in terms of, you know, people were, they were fully funded. They had, you know, hundreds of millions of users. They could have really gone and blown their product in so many different directions. But Jan and Brian had the discipline to say no to a lot of those things and just focus on the core functionality. So one of the things that you do need is basically guiding principles or goals that you're really, very few goals. So for WhatsApp, it was like fast, simple, and secure. So those were the three goals for the entire product and engineering team. And we really basically said no to everything else that didn't fit one of those. But still, within those things, there's a ton of stuff that you can experiment with. You know, like if you want to make it faster, let's come up with different ideas on making the service faster, and then we go and experiment around those. So I think just having a framework in place and sticking to it was super important. That's cool. Well, Pasha, I really appreciate you joining us today. It was awesome. Thanks for um, having me. And hope to do this again in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. 